Want to have safe kinky sex? Make sure you make your way over to AdamEve.com. Adam and Eve has over 12 million satisfied customers worldwide. Everything from the newest vibrators to classic movies. When you're on AdamEve.com, make sure to enter in the promo code HUSH50. That's H-U-S-H-5-0 to get 50% off almost any one item and free shipping. Do I need to say that again? Free shipping. Make sure you have your kinky safe sex needs satisfied by visiting AdamEve.com. Welcome to Hush, the podcast guaranteed to give you a load of fun. And with that being said, let's slide into the episode. Welcome to volume 52 of Hush. My name is Kim. It's just me today. Chris couldn't make it, but I am very excited to bring you our special guest today, Ashley Manta. Hi. Hello. Thank you again for taking your time to come onto the show with me. So I found you on Twitter (laughs) and I was like, okay, I came across kind of sexual and I was like, this is very, very interesting. And when You know, I just want to go ahead and jump right into that. So I looked up the definition of what you define that as, and that's basically anybody who, anybody who deliberately combines sex and cannabis to deepen intimacy and enhance pleasure. So there's so many things. There's people that love cannabis on one end, people that are so negative about drugs and sex. What kind of stigmas do you face personally with doing this? Well, it's interesting. There are people who are just not fans of cannabis. And to them, I say it is totally okay. And I am not here to convince anyone. And it's really okay if that's just not for you. What I would say to them is that there are a lot of ways of incorporating cannabis into your intimacy, uh, whether solo or partnered, that do not involve getting high, which is one of the things that tends to steer people away from cannabis. They don't want to get high. Uh, or they're concerned, rightfully, about consent and cannabis and sex. And as am I, being a sex educator for the last 12 years, being a sexual assault survivor myself, I'm very aware of and concerned about consent. And so the the way that I've found to incorporate consent every time is negotiate before you medicate if you're going to be using methods that are intoxicating. So make sure that everything is laid out on the table yeses, nos, you know, actually go through your yes, no, maybe list and talk about boundaries, talk about safe words, and then very importantly, talk about how to tell if you're in some kind of distress, if you've ever had a bad reaction to cannabis in the past, what did it, what did it look like? What did it sound like? What did it feel like? And, and how could you be assisted if you find yourself in that state? And like having those conversations up front, I think really does a lot to mitigate the potential Uh, concerns around cannabis and sex. And so that makes me really curious now. So I think of like, as soon as you mentioned cannabis, a lot of people have that image of like a pothead or a stoner uh, coming to you. And I'm pretty sure looking at all the experience that you have actually having your um, major in psychology at one point, like how many different people actually come to you? 
Oh my gosh, cannabis really spans all walks of life. Um, my bachelor's and my master's are actually in philosophy. And oh. so a lot of my colleagues in the philosophy department were very heavy cannabis consumers, including the professors. And so that started to undo some of the beliefs that I had. But what I find is that like the stereotypes have been created, um, often from a very racist place where the federal government has has really made it its mission to declare this war on drugs, which is actually a war on black and brown people. And cannabis was one of the perfect vehicles for that because they used it to feed the prison industrial complex and and to create this myth of people who consume cannabis are lazy and less than and problematic. And like, we know that those stereotypes are not true. Like, Half of my friends are CEOs and almost all of them smoke cannabis every day. And so the idea that you can't consume cannabis even daily and be productive is is quickly becoming an outdated myth. And there are people who only use it in very small amounts, really infrequently. There are people who only use it topically or people who only use it as a tincture because they have chronic pain or other kinds of conditions that, that cause discomfort throughout their day and they just need it to get through the day. And so cannabis really expands generations, it spans uh, socioeconomic status, and it spans demographics. Yeah, I definitely agree with all of that. And I was actually talking to my friend because uh he used to work as like a financial services representative and he actually quit his job because he wants to join the growing cannabis industry. And I was like, that's very interesting, you know? And when you're um, combining it with relationships, how did that even begin? Like what sparked your interest in cannabis and sex, cannabis and dating, cannabis and relationships? How did that begin? Great question. So like I said, I've been a sex educator for 12 years and what led me to sex education was being a sexual assault survivor. And as a result of my trauma, I was experiencing pain with penetration for most of my adult life until I moved to California in 2013 and had access to medical cannabis and specifically this really amazing product called Foria. And this company Foria makes a THC infused coconut oil sex spray that you apply to the vulva, like around the clit, vaginal opening, inner labia, spray it on, you let it marinate for like 25 minutes. And that was the first product that allowed me to have penetrative sex without pain. And it was a total game changer for me. And I realized that there weren't really any sexuality professionals talking about how to combine sex and cannabis in a really intentional way. And really no one was talking about it with regard to sexual trauma and how it could be a useful tool for a survivor to have in their toolkit. And so that was really what brought me to cannabis. I find it amazing that you took that negative experience and you built yourself into something so positive. I actually see like a little empire that you're building. You have kind of sexual, like an actual brand out there now. Thank you. <laughs> it's been a wild ride and I'm so grateful to be doing this work and to get to collaborate with such incredible people. Was there a lot of support that you garnered from family and friends or were there some people that were very skeptical about how far you could go with this? It was mixed, honestly. I had some people who were like, you know what, if this is gonna make you happy, cool, go for it. I had other people who said, you know, no one's gonna take you seriously if you join the cannabis industry or if you attach your brand to cannabis because of all the stereotypes out there. and 
and there were some people who who doubted and and had opinions early on and you know i find that success is the best revenge <laughs> it truly is i agree <laughs> and so i i didn't listen to the naysayers and i stayed positive and and honestly that my network was what helped me grow this brand like meeting incredible people especially women identified folks in the cannabis industry have been so welcoming and so community oriented and so willing to open up their homes, open up their businesses, open up uh, their organizations to me to come in and network and interact and learn. And I wouldn't be here without them. That was actually one of my questions. I was going to ask you, do you um, get more women or men that come to you to seek both like how to infuse cannabis into their sex life or just relationship advice? Typically, it's more women identified folks. I actually just looked at my Instagram follower breakdown this morning and it's 31% men and 69% women. <laughs> Very awesome. Very awesome. Which I felt was appropriate just anyway, but <laughs> <laughs> Um, it didn't really surprise me. Like, I know that my message resonates most strongly with especially people who are socialized feminine mm-hmm. and and who who often, you know, like cisgender women are absolutely my biggest demographic by far. And that makes sense because I'm a cisgender woman. So, you know, people see me and they identify with me um, because I'm I'm like them. I'm not an Instagram model. I'm not a porn star. I, I have a, a curvy body and I talk about having herpes. And so I am like a flawed human. And, and I think that makes me more relatable because I, I'm not like sitting up on some pedestal with somebody being like, I could never be like that. Like, no, I am totally your girl next door who grew up in Pennsylvania anyone could be me. And so I think that's what makes people resonate with me so strongly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, My question about that, so with women, um, getting into more of a serious tone, since you said that you were a sexual assault survivor, have any of them actually come to you and said that they've gone through some of the similar experiences as you? Many, many people have disclosed to me via Instagram DMs and Twitter DMs and have said that my work is really resonating with them and that through you know hearing my story, they have started to incorporate cannabis use into their own healing journey. And of course, I always tell everyone, this is not a substitute for therapy. I have a therapist. I have been in therapy since I was 16 years old. I'm a huge advocate of mental health support, and I would strongly encourage any survivor to seek it if it's available to them. And cannabis can be such a useful additional tool to supplement, to to help with symptom management. For me, I prefer cannabis to taking Xanax or antidepressants. That works better for me. If Xanax and antidepressants work better for you, by all means, use those things. You know, it's, it's really about survivors creating a journey that makes sense for them and their bodies. How long have you been? Oh, not how long have you been? You mentioned 12 years. What keeps you passionate about doing this? The thing that keeps me passionate about doing this is seeing the results in my life that have come from practicing what I preach. I am currently in a long-term polyamorous relationship that is unbelievably healthy, that is communicative, and there's so much kindness and support and thoughtfulness. And I use all of the things that I teach and all of the, the things that I would say to my coaching clients in my own relationship. In a lot of ways, I field test my ideas and theories on my relationship, and it's working. I We just celebrated four years together. 
we have such a beautiful relationship with each other, my boyfriend and I, and I know that this stuff works. And so between that and the messages that I get on social media from people just saying, I really appreciate how vulnerable you are. I appreciate the way that you put yourselves, yourself out there. And that has given me courage to make these changes in my own life. And it's gone really well. And so I screen cap all of the like nice messages that I get <laughs> on social media. And I keep them in a folder on my phone for the days where I'm feeling imposter syndrome creep in. And I'm like, no, look, you have changed people's lives. <laughs> I was, That's the question that I was going to ask. <laughs> you actually brought that back to my attention. It just slipped my mind. Fulfillment. So I I am assuming that you're getting a lot of fulfillment from this, right? Like, how does that feel? It feels incredible. I am so overwhelmed with gratitude for the people who follow my work and who like and comment on my posts and, and who come out to my workshops and who come up to me at events and tell me that my work has impacted them. It is so deeply gratifying to know that I'm helping people because that's something that I love to do. And it's something that really brings me a lot of joy. And so switching topics now, moving on to more of your like um, relationship advice that you give. I noticed that it's for both monogamous and non-monogamous relationships. Um, how do you tailor fit things to each person, I guess? Do you have certain criteria that you look at in somebody that's being monogamous versus somebody that isn't when you're giving advice? For the most part, my advice really comes down to transparency, self-awareness, and clear communication. You know, people say all the time, like, communication, communication is so important, but they don't really tell you how to do it. Mm -hmm. And I'm about the strategies. And the strategies tend to transcend monogamous and polyamorous relationships. You know, poly life is really just spinning more plates at the same time. And it's really an exercise in staying over your own emotional center of gravity. But beyond that, you're still in a one-on-one -on -one relationship with multiple people. So you have unless you're in a triad or some other kind of group dynamic. Um, but if you're someone who does like dyadic relationships, just multiple ones of them, which is very much my style, I'm not dating like a couple or anything right now. So the, the advice really transcends because it's about what's going on for me, what's coming up, what's, what are the feelings that I'm having? Can I notice them, feel what it feels like in my body, and can I articulate them to my partner in a way that they can hear me? Because if I'm shouting and screaming and like angry at them, you're allowed to have those feelings. You're all like, all feelings are valid and no one deserves to be screamed at. And so it's about like having your feelings and then writing down, like, this is what came up for me. And these are the conversations we need to have and like coming up with some bullet points and then creating a listening space so that you and your partner can have a productive dialogue instead of just a sort of nitpicky, critical snark fest. <laughs> Does it become overwhelming? I just had to ask. <laughs> you said it's like balancing plates. Or are you sometimes like, oh, I don't know about this? I intentionally keep my polyamorous life on the more simplistic side. I have my boyfriend, who is my primary partner, and then I have a couple of other casual lovers, but none of them take up too much of my time. And I did that very intentionally. Like I can only have one full-time relationship at a time. I've learned that about myself and <laughs> because I give so much of myself to my primary partner. So anyone who gets involved with me, who is not my primary partner knows going in because I tell them like way before we even have sex, I'm like, okay, here's what I'm available for. Here's what I'm absolutely not available for. 
does that work for you? If yes, cool, we can continue. If no, then like, let's just be friends. And that, that kind of self-awareness and transparency has been very useful for me in navigating my polyamory journey. My primary partner, on the other hand, has somewhere in the ballpark of like 13 lovers at any given time. And that's just so many. <laughs> and he's scaled down. He's he's scaled back and, and reprioritized and let people know kind of where he's at because he got a little overwhelmed with trying to balance all of those yeah, different people. <laughs> I was just like, no, that's, I don't stay in touch with 13 people. I mean, I do, I have to, but like, that's a lot to, to navigate all at once. In addition to friendships and colleagues and everything else, like I have a lot of humans in my life. So I try to be very clear with people, like how much of my attention they can expect to receive. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm only in a monogamous relationship with Chris and that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. I, I fully get that. I was going to go ahead and go on off of that. Um, when it comes to your sex life, would you consider this to be at this point the best sex that you're having right now, or is it still work in progress yourself? Oh, goodness, no. Without hesitation, I can say that this is the best sex I am having in my entire <laughs> life that I've ever had, that I didn't even dream of sex this good when I would fantasize about having a great sex life when I had a shitty sex life. <laughs> this is next level transcendent galactic <laughs> earth shattering holy shit i can't believe this is my life sex <laughs> low-key i want to get on that level now <laughs> you can that's the cool thing anyone can <laughs> everybody loves a testimonial i love yours thank you it's i have so much pleasure in my life and so much fun my boyfriend and i will just laugh in the middle of sex we will just crack up for a solid minute or two straight i want to and, ask about that too so if you don't mind me going there with your sexuality okay. do you also explore with women as well so is it open uh, that way or is it just men that are your lovers in addition to your boyfriend I am an equal opportunity slut, so I I pay more attention to brains than bits. I don't care if you are cis, trans, non-binary, man, woman, or whatever in between. I'm cool with all of it. Uh, all that matters to me is that we have a good vibe together and that our energy meshes well, and I have had lovers that span the gender spectrum. I want to get deep into a, a relationship that you're in now, the polyamorous. How do you deal with jealousy and insecurity for people that are in a monogamous relationship? That's the first thing I would think that we would look at. Like, how do you, how do you deal with that? I deal with it by understanding that jealousy is normal. It's, we make it into this like scary, bad, if you feel jealous, something's wrong mm -hmm. thing. And I think that that's misguided. I find my personal belief is that jealousy is often a symptom of an unmet need. And so if I find myself feeling jealous or insecure in the relationship, typically it's not about the other person. It's usually about me. So is it that I'm afraid of being abandoned? Is it that like, I'm afraid my partner will leave me? Well, that's probably not going to happen because the whole nature of polyamory is that you can have multiple partners. So you don't have to leave one to have another. Or is it that I'm feeling scarcity around my partner's time? Or am I feeling something about their new lover is perhaps, uh, you know, maybe they're, 
I perceive them to be more attractive than I am or more skilled in some area of their life that I'm insecure about. Like maybe they're super wealthy and I just, I feel insecure because I am not super wealthy. And so whatever it is, like I kind of dive deep into that and then I say, okay, given that this is what's coming up for me and okay, this is what is actually going on from that place. I can make a request and I can say, Hey, listen, babe, I am feeling some feels about this. Are you willing to hold space for me to share what's coming up for me? And would you be willing to offer me some reassurance? Would you be willing to schedule an extra date night this week? You know, whatever it is that will help alleviate that thing that's coming up rather than just being like, I feel jealous. You can't see this person. Absolutely not. No, no, no. Yeah, I get you. I was going to say that too. We've met some people that have um, been in open relationships or have tried like even a threesome and it just didn't go as expected because of those jealousies and insecurities. I actually like though that you kind of, you know, you live by your own word that you're preaching, you know, so I think that it's cool that you're actually experimenting with this and then telling people this is really what's happening, you know, I think that's really cool. But going back into like the insecurity level, were you insecure at any point when you first started a polyamorous relationship? Oh, absolutely. And I actually started polyamory before I started dating my current boyfriend. It, my polyamory journey started around between 2011 and 2013. I started dating a guy and he was poly when we met. And I had been monogamous my whole life up to that point and just got cheated on a lot by my partners. So I had a pretty nasty taste in my mouth toward the ability of especially uh, male identified partners to be able to be committed to one person. And so I saw polyamory as sort of a breath of fresh air of like, okay, well, if you're going to sleep with other people anyway, at least this way, you're telling me about it. You're using protection, you're getting tested, you're doing all these different things. And I can talk to you about what comes up for me. And at various points, absolutely. I got jealous and insecure, especially in my last relationship when my boyfriend at the time, who was submissive, started dating someone who, a woman who was dominant and I tried to be dominant for him in our relationship and I couldn't. That's just not my mode. At least not with someone I'm in a relationship with. Like I can play top for like short scenes and I actually find myself to be especially toppy with people um, who are on the feminine side of the spectrum. But in this case with my romantic partner, thinking of him like in chastity or submitting to another person, I was so freaked out, even though I hooked them up. Because I was like, I know that I can't give you these things. So here, have someone who will. And then he met and they they hit it off. And I was like, oh, God, no, 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 no. I hate this. This is terrible. Fuck this shit. I hate it. No. And, you know, this is before I really learned how to be more aware of what I needed. I was just like throwing a tantrum and being upset. And it was not productive at all. So I sort of learned the hard way how to navigate jealousy and insecurity. Yeah, that that was always like my biggest concern, I guess. It still is to this day. Like, how would I how would I handle that personally if I were to open up the relationship with me and Chris to at least an experience? Because in my in my own like perspective, I don't think I could do it the full way, but maybe like a threesome or something. You know, that's always been like a fantasy. So I, oh, yeah. I, I'm just curious about just that portion in general because I always hear like the act itself was fun, but then the aftermath, some people, it didn't go the way they expected, you know, with like emotions Absolutely. and things like that. 
And having as much conversation in advance as possible is a really good way to handle that. I love threesomes. I was not always as into threesomes as I am now, but now I, I really consider myself a threesome and moresome aficionado. <laughs> I do it well, and I actually just had a really hot two-guy threesome for my 33rd birthday in April. <laughs> way to go. Well, with my birthday. boyfriend <laughs> and my French lover, and it was just next level hot and we happened to have it like at my birthday party and so my best friend and two of my friends who are sex therapists were sitting there watching part of it and that was extra hot because I am a total ex exhibitionist <laughs> I love showing off and I was so proud of like having these two super hot guys like just worshiping me while other people watched it was the best that's probably the kinkiest thing I've heard. I always see that like in porns, but we haven't, I haven't had anybody on the podcast come and say that. I've had, so one of our ex-hosts, one of our former hosts, he had actually watched like his ex with somebody, but he was just kind of sitting at the edge of the bed. But for you to actually be the person involved in it, I think that makes it like hotter on, an, on another level. It was so good. And honestly, my favorite part was even before we started having like penetrative or like hands-on sex like they were giving me a naked massage and I popped my head up and I said I have an idea <laughs> which is one of my favorite ways to suggest things um Reed Mahalko who's one of my colleagues and and mentors loves that sentence I have an idea and so I, I said I have an idea and they both were like what's your idea <laughs> and I said okay so here's what I want you to do B, my boyfriend, I want you in this year, talk in English, other lover, <laughs> French lover, I want you in this year, dirty talking in French at the same time. And it was so fucking epic. Oh my God. My brain was so fried in the best way because I was totally overloaded, like trying to translate what my French lover was saying, trying to pay attention to what my boyfriend was saying feeling all the feelings in my body of having these two really hot guys like standing next to me saying these things. <laughs> it was absolutely the hottest thing I've ever experienced. And it didn't even involve like penetrative sex or anything like that. It was just words. <laughs> Were you like, oh my gosh, if this is the foreplay, I can't imagine the sex. <laughs> yes. And the sex did not disappoint, I must say. Oh, I was going to say, okay. <laughs> Hopefully the performance wasn't... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was great because my French lover is uncircumcised and I love uncircumcised cocks. I mean, I love circumcised cocks too, but like there's a special place in my heart for foreskin. And so it was really fun to like be stroking both of them at the same time and to feel the difference between my Jewish boyfriend and my uncircumcised French lover. You know, what's so funny is I feel like most of the women I met just find uncircumcised to be scary. And I've had both myself and it's like, well, you know, I don't mind either or, but some women are just like, I don't like the way it looks. I have really <laughs> a lot of empathy for those women because they are missing out and they're letting fear hold them back from what is so much fun to play with. <laughs> or the whole conception, like, it's dirty. <laughs> oh, that's such a false thing. Uh, it makes me sad when people believe that. Like, like he just if you don't it, wash don't genitals, they mm. get that. They get funky. You know, that's a thing. But that goes whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. Yeah, I like, think that's all just gotta the board. Yeah, keep your stuff tidy. That's all. <laughs>
Unless you have a vulva, in which case that is a self-cleaning organ and you keep soap the fuck out of there. <laughs> All the products say that too. Yeah, external use only. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, so I was browsing your website earlier and I found something about clitoral legs. What is that? I didn't know that the clit has legs. The clit has <laughs> legs! Okay, I'm pretty sure that that's going to be on my tombstone someday because I say it so goddamn much. <laughs> Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to the Hush Podcast. Make sure to find us on Podbean, Red Dragons Radio, Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, thehushpodcast.com, our Facebook, our Instagram, and our Twitter page.